Wait for it. Wait for it. And we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just a couple of nerdy veterans and one chaos demon, I mean coordinator, geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guests introduce themselves. We are not going to go in alphabetical order. We're going to go in order of the guests as they've appeared. So the last... Yeah, it's guest- like Hollywood Squares that way. Well, yeah, we just we want our guest that's never been on before to have plenty of time to talk about herself. Because that's manners and stuff. And, and Chloe is a very mannered person. She tells me that all the time. Uh, Terry's already requested uh, Swiss cheese from our variety of cheeses. That's good to know. So, Chloe, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers at home? I would be happy to. I am Chloe Garner. I write science fiction, fantasy, urban fantasy, everything that lives there under that speculative umbrella. Presently working on a massive fantasy universe and having a great time living there day by day. Because why would you want to live on Earth? That's boring. Exactly, man. Earth sucks, man. All right. And uh, for those who don't see it on the screen, because she just put her first name, because she's cool like that, uh, just like Madonna's one name, um, she's just Chloe, but she does have a last name she produces as, and it's <laughs> Garner, not Gardner. Yes, I'm Chloe Garner. She she will stab you if you get it wrong. It hurts. She she mailed Every me the knife and said, "Stab yeah. yourself." That's how serious she is. And she's just a beauty. She's just yeah. beautiful, and she's and great to have on the show, just like everybody else that we have here. Just amazing. Amazing. Panel he also doesn't want to get stabbed, dear listener, so he's being nice. All right. Next, we have the lovely Miss Terry K. Job of the Mini Voices. Ooh. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Hi. Hello, everyone. Again, as I've been on here several times before, uh, Terry K. Job, baby author, book narrator, working on some new projects. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, that evil laugh did it for me. I'm, I'm here for it. And last but not least, we have Miss L. Jaji Lamplighter Wright, Madam Jaji. That just sounds cool. Madam. We, we feel like we should give you like a tiara and make you a duchess or something. I don't know how all that nobility stuff works, but well, it I, sounds cool. I myself, you know, I'm just American, but my character is actually the daughter of a duke and duchess in my in my series. So it kind of almost would fit. Maybe a, maybe a fancy beret. With some mm. accoutrement. <laughs> he doesn't use like the the white and black striped shirt to do the beret, like the French do. Yeah, no, that's that. fancy. You know, is already, yeah, the beret would totally tie in with that outfit. I'm, I'm taking I'm it. I think she could pull off a fedora there. I get it. Like the beret is is very in chic. It it never went out of style. I had a red one wear somewhere. Anyway, I am El Chaji Lamplighter, and I am a writer and editor and a teacher of writing, though right now I'm trying to back out of teaching and editing and just write for a year or so. Uh, I have a series that was originally with Tor that's now with Wordfire that's called either Prospero's Daughter or Prospero's Children, depending on which publisher you ask. Uh, that is a sequel to Shakespeare's Tempest. It's kind of Shakespeare meets Dante with urban fantasy. Nice. And I have a series that's described as either supernatural meets uh, Narnia at Hogwarts or Lovecraft meets Narnia at Hogwarts, depending on what part of the series you're looking at, uh, which is a uh, takes place at a magic school 
in on an island in the middle of the Hudson River in New York. It used to be a floating island, so it's an international magic school, but it got stuck in the Hudson River. And uh, the setup of that story is, you know how the magic world hides from the mundane world? Well, my magical world characters begin to realize there's another world hiding from them. Oh. And there's, you know, romance and school shenanigans and adventure and fun. Uh, and it, it, theoretically, it's a YA fantasy, but I think most of my readers are adults. That, that intrigues me. We'll get together offline and I might have to get the titles of that. We'll throw in the show notes as well, dear listener, with some links. I really think most of my readers are guys, too, but there, there you go. You don't judge. They're money. <laughs> my main character is a 13-year-old girl. So, you know, occasionally they kind of creeped out because it's girly stuff. But most of the time they, they like it because there's some action and some fun. There's many times where I'm a 13-year-old girl. I'm, I'm just <laughs> I mean, so I'd be down to read that. We're not going to judge. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, I how know. I found this. Well, you can judge him. Uh, so I found this ensemble of uh, characters. So we all actually met on a, on a mission. We were um, fighting at the Second Battle of Byzantium. We were an interdimensional team uh, tasked with retrieving the Declaration of Independence from Ben Gates. Weirdly, the dude looks a lot like Nick Cage. I don't, he probably hears that a lot. Anyway, we got it back. So all's well that sends well. And now it is safely in the museum in D.C. Don't have to worry about it. Nobody could ever steal it from there. That place is like Fort Knox, I'm told. No, I personally hired the security. They're good. Yeah, so we're, we're, where no, are what's, they? What's the most that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? If they don't know how to read cursive. <laughs> well, I mean, Sadly, that's a thing. reason that they don't teach them anymore. There's secret mm. Masonic code hidden in the cursive. I'm going to be an elder, like, oh, Master Gaba, you read the cursive. Can you translate? I'm like, yeah, don't be a dick. That's what it says. In non-specific terms, don't be a dick. Treat everybody equally. Have some rights. Don't let soldiers into your home if you don't need to, you know? Ooh. I remember and finally, oh, go ahead. Mr. Hensley's on the screen. It was the Constitution, yeah. Uh, being surprised that there was a lot, we think of like the the uh, you know the Bill of Rights of having you know the first and second stuff, but there's actually more stuff on there, you know. But like there were a lot of stuff that came before, you know that that we just never hear about when you see it summed up. I was kind of yeah the uh, all all the uh, um, amendments. They're like, oh wait, we forgot about this. Oh wait, how about this? This is how we're not going to be a dick. Add that, <laughs> you know, it's real good. I've done that myself. I'm like, oh, this is a great idea. And then later on, I'm like, oh, wait, I should add this. Oh, wait, I should add this. Oh, wait, that's a good idea, too. This is why editing is a thing and why we love our editors. If, if they would have had sufficient editors in that time, it just would have been the Bill of Rights. No but amendments. They would have been like, listed included. Included. the people like it Abigail Adams. Too complicated. This is true. That's a fair point, Terry. I agree with you. So I worked in Boston for five years. So I know. Uh, good old Boston. That's I interned right. at Valley Forge. Does that count? Yes. It's funny that you bring up the editing and changing things because in the in the t- ten minutes before I came to get ready for this, I was discussing with a friend of mine who's my first reader that uh, 
I had forgotten that a character was in a certain dorm. I've written six books and I put said in the first one, she was in a certain dorm. And then that dorm is on stage all the time. And I totally forgot her. So we were trying to decide like, how do I handle this? And could I just insert in a change, a line in the one book where characters move to other, there's a day in February where you can move to another dorm. I said, can I just go back to book four and write in that she moved <laughs> and then just, Anybody who buys the book after this point will have that. And we were discussing the, you know, the morality of whether or not I should do that. That's like, like the question of Luna at Hogwarts. I had to ask my kid. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm confused. What house is she in? <laughs> He's like, she's a Ravenclaw. I'm like, why is she always wearing Gryffindor stuff? Luna <laughs> makes sense. Where is she? So before we dive into the magic schools, uh, I will let David Hensley, who came out a little late because he is um, in the parking lot at MarsCon right now as we record oh, wow. this. Ooh. He's famous. <laughs> famous anus. Get famous anus? Famous. Famous anus. Going to MarsCon. Oh, Angus. See, that's where editing comes in. Yes, it is. <clears throat> Anyway, David, introduce yourself. Uh, so I'm David Hensley. I write. Uh, oh, come on, Brady. I got con like uh, I can't think straight, but I write. Uh, David Hensley writes stuff. Yeah, I write post-apocalyptic science fiction for Three Ravens under the on the under the Car Wars license. I write uh, urban fantasy slash urban military or military fantasy stuff with uh, JTF thirteen, which is most. And I'm working on. Uh, Sword and sorcery, or not sword and sorcery. Bless my brain ain't working. A uh, ah, like a sword and pistol space opera sci-fi thing with three ravens. And it's funny. I thought you said sports and sorcery, which is, would be a whole new era. No, that fits. I would be cool with that. And David has one of the best beards on our podcast. He does. <laughs> so oh, we're gonna do that. That's going to be an award, the yeah. annual best beard of the podcast. So, so can you I invite my husband? <laughs> well, we can enter him as a, um, adjacent. So, cool. Done. Uh, although the, the bearded lady on Spaceballs was kind of, I mean, that was an epic beard. She was beautiful. <laughs> it was. I have my a beard. beard. One of my best friends has a long red beard, and people caught, stop and comment on it. And he said, you know, it's really funny. I get more comments on my beard than anything else. And it's literally something that exists because I do nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's like the least amount of effort to get something. It's yeah. Like, guys don't have the miracle of makeup to do nope. like wizardry, witchery stuff and do contours and stuff like that. We, we, have a, we can grow a beard or we're ugly. You know, it's one of the two. Now, now, I will stop you there. When my husband and I are getting ready, doing our last little bathroom things, he takes longer than I does. Than well, I beard do. maintenance is a thing. Yes, it is. Yeah, that, that's a very I don't expensive wear makeup, so I'm just like, brush hair. <clears throat> <laughs> Has anybody else seen like A Thousand Ways to Die in the West? Yeah, I have. I have. <laughs> like... When Neil Patrick Harris is like, oh, that's a very expensive facial accessory. Like, he wasn't kidding. When I decided to grow a beard because work allowed it, I didn't know how. I, like, I have a brush. I, I got a big brush 
I got a small brush for the little mustachio that I'm doing. It came with scissors. It came with a cream and an oil. I'm like, what the hell? So now I, I really appreciate the ends, even though I have to do it on a very small scale, that women do to get all beautified. I know I use that in the country hick vernacular to which I was raised, beautified. Absolutely. The first time I grew it out and I'm like, I'm going to give it a shot. I was going to a buddy of mine's wedding and this little old lady at the gas station was like, oh, I like your beard. Can I touch it? And I'm like, I'm keeping it. I was at the grocery store and I was like, hey, I drank this beverage, but I need to pay for it. And she just looked at me over her shoulder. She's like, you devil. <laughs> that, that, that was my that lit up my day. You devil. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. You'll, you'll get a kick out of this, Nick. Back to the cursive part. When uh, when I was still in high school, I applied for, among other things, a Marine Corps ROTC scholarship. And you had to write your essay by hand in cursive. I spent more time practicing the cursive so I could write the, write it by hand than I did on the actual essay. It was for the Marine Corps, wasn't it, in Crane? This was before the crown phase. Cursive. Um, you're talking about old ladies at the grocery store, so my hair is really long, which you can't see by the way I'm sitting. And I used to, it used to get all tangled up, and I didn't know, you know, what to do about this. One day I'm at the grocery store, and this old lady comes, and she's complimenting me on how long my hair is. And this is like 20, 25 years ago. And she says, and I guess you braided it at night like we always did. And I was like, no, but I'm going to do it from now on. Got to respect the braid. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh my lord! So good old ladies. Yeah, uh, and what's old is new again. But with that yeah. being said, and we've done the introduction, uh, we get to do the religion question. So Chloe and Terry and Dave, you have all answered this before. So the light is going to shine on Miss Jaji. That sounds like all fancy. I'm trying, my friend. Madame Jaji Laplata. Terry, and it's written in the great text. Terry, you got to do like the French accent for us later to get her name proper. That je ne sais quoi. Can you do that? There we go. All right. So the religion question. Are you ready, Jaji? I'm ready. All right. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? I really have to you go. Will be I love all three of them. I, I really okay. feel I would be dishonest or un, you know, unfaithful if I turned on one of them. That's fair. That's fair. Do I need All right. And because we are polytheistic here at the Blasters and Blades podcast, uh, we have Game of Thrones. All right, think on that one. It'll never get finished, so keep thinking. Wheel of Time, the Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia, absolutely, hands down. Okay. Uh, I only really read one Wheel of Time book. Game of Thrones, I, I loved. You know, it struck me as like Game of Kings with fantasy. I, I thought it was neat, but uh, you know, Narnia is, is one of my absolute favorites. It's still in my top like five favorite books. So, and, and Narnia has its own song. It has a song. Yeah, uh, the Lonely Island. It's a bunch of guys from Saturday Night Live. We'll have to go look for that. Oh yeah, just look up. Not lick up. Look up. Thank you. Brain's not working. Look up the Lonely Island Chronicles of Narnia. I will. I will. Prepare to laugh. That look up Captain Jack Sparrow. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. This is why me and David are friends. We have the same. I will look Music it up. It sounds like fun. I like things like that. All right. And uh, we will um, link to those and Jaji's books that she mentioned, um, Magic School books. 
Uh, so that way you at home can follow along and you don't have to do the work. We'll do it for you because we're lazy. We know you are lazy like that and we love that about you. If you're talking about doing work, magic schools, so you don't have to be lazy. I and Christopher, not all, used, or we still run, but we don't put anything up there anymore. A website called Fantastic Schools and Where to Find Them. Right. We have a page on magic schools with like 100 magic school books on it. You so don't. I will send you that link. You can include it. And oh, absolutely. no magic schools that are not on there, you can send them to me and I will add them. That is outstanding. All right. And because we are no longer knuckle-dragging troglodytes, we are civilians now and civilized. At least that's what we tell ourselves. Madam Jaji, coffee or tea? And how do you take it? Okay. So this is probably a longer story than you want to hear. But I used to No, be, we got time. I used, I used to be addicted <laughs> to coffee. When I was pregnant with my second son, they opened a Starbucks nearby back then, you know, it's the first one in the area. And I had to wait through the pregnancy, you know. So when I once the baby was born, like the first thing I wanted was coffee and probably right. frappuccino. And I used to walk up to the local yeah. store, it's like, you know, three quarters of a mile with the baby and baby <clears throat> and get coffee every day. But a weird thing happened to me. So I was at Boy Scout camp and I'm walking along and I'm, you know puffing and puffing because I'm heavier than I used to be. And I was thinking about my daughter who was raised in China till she was 13. And she like eats sweets, but she's not like obsessed with them. And I was praying. And I prayed, God, I wish I could be like that. And for like a week, I just didn't desire anything that wasn't like healthy. But as time went on and my appetite camera went back to normal, I, I should back up and say I was obsessed with coffee I thought about it every day for 10 years like it was always on my mind I was always trying to go out and get a coffee after that experience I stopped thinking about coffee so I decided if God is going to remove my addiction to coffee I am not going back so I don't drink coffee anymore. I drink tea. I have an entire bookshelf of tea like three or four uh, shelves of tea my daughter has cut me off. She says I cannot get any more tea until I drink some of it. So I'm working on that. She goes to China pretty regularly and she brings me back. All her friends want to give me gifts because I really love them and they're really sweet. So they bring me tea. So I have all this super fancy Chinese tea and, you know, grocery store tea too. And I'm slowly working my way through it. I, I really like it with honey and milk, but for, you know, to be slightly like more healthy, I try to drink it without that, like, most of the week and then like on the weekend I indulge in, in adding milk and sweeteners and sometimes right. maple syrup. When I was a kid I worked in a place where they made maple syrup and was half done and put a mint tea bag in. So I really maple syrup is something that goes in, in mint tea. Interesting. So long answer to so when I was in Philly going to grad school, when I was at Nova, uh, they had a Tiavana, which was a Starbucks. Got yeah, bought by Starbucks yeah, and good. they went under, but they had a tea and I bought a lot of it, but now it's all gone. Sadly, that tasted like uh, big red gum. It was the most delicious tea I've ever had, but I've never been able to find a replacement and Tiavana is now out of business. Oh, that's such a shame. From them. And they're the ones that introduced me to the world of loose leaf tea. Uh, and then my doctor was like, cause you know, I, the army overdosed me on steroids to keep me in the field while I was in Iraq. So now they're like, your liver, it doesn't always like you. So maybe we can like chill out on the meds and go more natural where it works. 
And so like I'll drink hot tea if I'm, I'm getting a cold or peppermint tea if my throat is sore, that sort of thing. Uh, and that's when they taught me that like you, you lose the um, nutritional benefits of tea if they do like the Lipton bag style. But if you get it loose leaf, it's good for you. So I've been slowly exploring and then I'm learning about tea because I watched this YouTube channel called Tea and Metals. And it's a bunch of British people talking about, what's that, Nick? It's a bunch of British people, like military veterans from Britain, talk about how they won their various medals for heroism. So the tea and medals, and but they open it with how do they take their tea? And I'm learning about things like NATO standard, which is like two, I think it's two cubes of sugar and milk. Yep. Uh, they, yeah, and so it's I'm learning all about the tea. That's how I became the honorary. I have a friend who's also, she writes uh, like historical nonfiction books. And she and I, about every six months, we go to a tea house. Like they have kind of British ones around here. I live in, in Northern Virginia. So where you get like the tea and cream and scones and little sandwiches and stuff. We did that last week. The good stuff. It's so much fun. And, and they give you like 20 teas. You have to sniff them all and pick the one you want. So I, I really enjoy doing that. It's like my one special thing that I'll, I'll do occasionally. Yeah, tea's an expensive um, hobby. And then I find a lot of my friends that like tea, they collect it almost more than they drink it. Most like you buy more books than you read. It's just one of those things. But the good news is they have those airtight tins you can get. Yes. That, like the You could be dead in three generations from now. They'll open that tea and it'll be drinkable. Well, I have a Tivana tin that I use for my favorite. I still have some of those too. Yeah. So. Well, I, in fact, I, I wrote a short... I recommend to anybody who, who might be at all in the tiniest bit interested in tea, the book and all the tea in China. Okay. Well, remember the author, there's more than one book out there by that name. So you got to look for the one that's about Sir Robert Fortune. This is the guy who snuck into China to steal tea for the British. China was being difficult with them about it and they decided to grow it in India. And they sent this guy in and there were so many different, there's 54 different uh, na like uh, racial groups in China. So he just put on a long braid and said he was a Mandarin. And nobody <laughs> China, in the depths of China, he had never seen anyone who wasn't Chinese. So they didn't know he was Western, you know. <laughs> great book that guy would. So I wrote, I wrote a short story based on uh, that, you know, his experiences in that book. But I recommend the book. It was recommended to me by a good friend of mine who I found out after he died, worked for the CIA. <laughs> the last, one of the last conversations was he recommended this book. So it's a really enjoyable book, and you learn a great deal about tea. You know why black tea is more popular until recently than green tea? No. Green tea was originally popular. It's the same plant. It has to do with how long they ferment it. Green tea was originally more popular, and when Robert Fortune got into the depths of China, he found out they were putting chemicals in to make it greener for the Westerners, and they were poisoning chemicals. Nice. We told everybody that in Europe, they switched to black tea. I mean, if it works, it works. So you can see what kind of book it is. It's really fun. So that's it's all the, about advertising, folks. Uh, that's the fun thing about history. Like when I spoke at my kid's school for his English class and they wanted to, and this is when the, the English and history class were the same teacher and then they'd switch for math and science. And they asked, oh, you write books. How do you come up with your ideas? And I'm like, it's easy. Pick up a history book. There's a hundred thousand stories in there that yeah. you can steal liberally from. And they were like all excited. I told them to read history books. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great thing. I'll remember that if I ever get to, I used to talk to schools. I haven't done it while my kids are a little older, but if I ever do, I, that's a really good thing to say to kids. And it's so true. Yeah, it's, they don't let me around schools anymore. I swear too much. 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Did we lose? Oh, we lost Chloe. She's she's fighting a cold, so... Chloe? She might be back. back. But anyway, all right. So we brought everyone here today to talk about the school, the magic schools. Uh, and unlike the topic of magic schools in like a D&D type context where it's like fields, sub-genres of magic that you could master, uh, we're speaking specifically of like... Harry Potter kind of magic schools. Charmed had one for a while when they copied Potter because for a while everybody copied Harry Potter in all of the sci-fi fantasy TV shows. It was very in vogue at that time, the early 2000s. I get it. So yeah. What do you... Friend, and like, like they ended up copying Twilight, which makes me want to jam my head in the door and shut. Yeah, I agree with David. Uh, but But, you know, vampires have to sparkle because reasons. When Twilight first came out, a friend of mine wrote me and she said, I, I think this author's a little confused. Those are elves. <laughs> I like that. I walked out of Twilight when it in the theater and then went and saw Iron Man again. Good. I had to butch back. Because I yeah, I, I needed to flush my brain of the weird vampire tale that was being shown to me. I think I should say something in defense of Twilight, even though I haven't read the book. But in 2006, when I had just finished but had not yet published my first book, I had a friend who was a YA librarian who was on the, can't remember the name of the YA publishing, but she was on a board of librarians who would pre-read books for the publishing company and give them responses. And she said, mentioned that my book and another book called Twilight were the best books she'd read that year. So I think that Twilight's really good compared to other YA girl books. But it's when you're trying to look at it from the point of view of you don't normally read those kind of books that you run into trouble. <laughs> oh, I, I watched that movie only knowing that it was a vampire movie, knowing nothing else. And I'm like, me and my, my buddy that I was going through this school with, we're looking at each other like, I feel less masculine being here. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Let's go see Iron Man. That movie's one of the very few movies I ever sat down to watch with my husband and he left halfway through. My testosterone levels lowered watching that. And he watches all sorts of strange girly things with me, but that one, he just, it was, he didn't like it. So I, I have a general life policy that I will never yuck someone else's yum. I just accept that it's not for me, yeah. generally speaking. But it's like, I feel I should say a word in its defense, even though I understand why people react that well, way. It's good at what it does. I was going to say, I loved it when I read it. Of course, I was also pre-college when I read it. I was so I was still a teenager when that came out. But I enjoyed it, personally. And I, I really liked what she did with uh, Midnight Sun, telling that story from the other side. It's like, I've heard she's never going to do it again, but I want to know how that turned out. Knowing what happened later in the story in the original run, nice. But yeah, so that's that's the thing. That's the hardest thing as readers we have to accept is sometimes you're just not the target audience, right. and that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I realized that my very first time I ever was like, well, this was it took me like 17 years to get my first book published, and way back in the early point, I exchanged manuscripts with a friend's friend who was a writer, and she was writing a mystery. And she got partway in like a chapter or two into my story about Miranda Prospero living in the modern world. And she thought I needed to explain the concept of a magic staff. And at that moment, I thought there are people out there who are just not my audience. And it has never bothered me again. You know, the, sta like, the staff's I important to the wizard. It's got a crystal or an amulet in there. Staff. 
Oh, they may not like me very much. So anyway, some people are just not in your, they're not in your readership and that's okay. And that's yep. true. And I shunned them mostly. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying something, David, about uh, Twilight before we moved on. Oh, no, just that the, the, like that weird trend to chase the very popular thing. Like it was Twilight and then it was Potter or maybe it was Potter and then Twilight. I forget the order in which that occurred. But, uh, you know, like they think that the, the Popular media has a bad habit of chasing something, you know, because they can, they see a cash opportunity in it. Yeah. Vampires. I'm, I mean, not vampires, but they're, they are they're vampires. Vampire. They will suck it dry, whatever the end thing is, and they'll make it just undigestible. So yeah. in their defense, there's something called the cultural zeitgeist, and that comes in waves. There's a reason, and somebody's done a psychological breakdown, and we can have uh, J. Daniel Sawyer on. He's written a book on it about the cultural zeitgeist to talk about it. But like you can predict if you know what's going on in the world, what's going to cycle in the popular monsters. And we go from at certain points in time, werewolves are popular other times, zombies, zombies, but they go in cycles, which is why if you write it and it goes out of fashion before you finish, publish it anyway. Cause when the wave comes back, you're going to be ready to, you know, pimp your yeah, stuff. Or just wait a few years. And it'll right. Yeah. But I'm still cool. shocked that the walking dead is yep. still a thing. I checked out after like season three. I got made it to like the fourth book in the graphic novel. I'm like three or four spinoffs right now. And I'm like, I don't care. Like the comics stopped being interesting after the first four years. Yeah. Yeah. They lost me when they started doing things that like, oh, it's been X number of years and they're still driving cars. I'm like, who's refining that gas for you? What do you uh, do? Kirkman. No, the engine. Kirkman should have went with his original idea where the zombie apocalypse was just the precursor to an alien invasion. That would have been a lot more interesting. Ideas we might have to liberally borrow from. I, I have no problem stealing from Robert Kirkman. He's a hack. <laughs> I will say that openly, and I hope he comes at me directly on the Twitters or whatever, because I will argue with him because I'm a bigger comic book fan and he can pound sand. But so I said we what I said. Hate mail sent to Stabby, as usual. <laughs> All right, Nick. I need you to hold it for just five seconds. We All are right, at, you got uh, ten. I'm, I'm generous today. You get ten seconds. All right, 3001. So this is where we're going to insert the commercial. If you're uh, listening to us on the podcast, we thank you for sticking with it. If you are watching us on the YouTubes, the Rumbles, or the BitChutes, Eh, just roll with it because we are today sponsored by Three Ravens. So we're going to link to them and they've got all kinds of books that are available on their website by lots of awesome independent authors. Although if you're writing for a small publishing company, are you still independent where that line is? I don't know. We're just people. They release cool stuff, man. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've got a vested interest. I, I've got some stuff coming out with them in the near future. So, I mean, I, there is a little bit of, you know, I scratch Who would you want in your corner if you were fighting? You want a penguin or you want a raven? I'm choosing raven. I'm taking the raven. The hell with that flightless bird. Yeah, right? Well, I agree with David. Uh, Cheers. The that feels like we, we have to have like an AMA where we get all these random weird questions. Now, if somebody comes up with an Osprey publishing, then I don't know. I'm going to be kind of like divided because it's a bird of prey. Let's roll that ad. Let's roll that ad. No, no, we're not doing an ad. We we, we sponsored for the company and we're going to move on because we're having okay. too much fun and I didn't I want to interrupt. To get him to stop talking. 
Oh, yeah, that works too. Mute. I can give you mute powers when we're done. Uh, but so, mute. magic schools. Uh, that might be dangerous for their marriage, uh, Zhaji. If I let her, I'd be able to mute her husband. I don't know. That, that's, that's, that, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. All right, all right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna see to your wiser judgment because I would do lots of crazy things as I've proven in life. Uh, we're gonna go back to magic schools. So, the school obviously it's the idea of people that have magical skills have to learn somewhere. But right. what do you think makes that such a popular trope? And is it mostly a YA thing, or do you think it works in any fields? Well, I don't think it's mostly a YA thing unless you think Wizard of Earthsea is YA, which it wasn't when I was young. It might be now. Uh, but I grew up loving Roke. As the book, I always thought the Roke sections of the Earthsea books was the be were the best sections. I think it's just really interesting because you get the dynamics of a school story, which can be good without anything else. You know, I mean, you can have good dynamics for a school story in a mundane setting, and you get the the wonder of whatever magic you put into the background. So I think it just has a lot of potential. I think the reason it's so much of it is YA is that most kids in school are young. Yeah. Well, it's got a lot of coming of age themes that go into it just really, really natively. You go in not knowing anything about the world, quite literally. This is one of the first tropes of academy and, and magic schools. And you come out and you have the ability to master the world that you just discovered. That's that's it's almost unavoidably a coming of age story, which is YA, unless you do some really radical stuff that shoves it out of that. I think that it starts there natively and, and you can end up anywhere depending on how you shape the themes that the rest of the book fits to. But as a, as a genre, it's that's, that's where it starts, I think. All right. Then I have a challenge for you to make it not YA magic school meets Billy Madison with Adam Sandler and go. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, sooner or later, someone will do a really good magic college book. There's some out there, and they're not bad, but none of them have, like, broken out to the point that I, other than maybe, uh, it's a glass house? There's one where I think they're actually vampires. But for the most part, they tend to do younger schools. Mm -hmm. But if somebody did a college, they could make it, uh, you oh. know. Terry Pratchett's got a college. Discworld has Unseen University. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that's, you know, that's not right. And that was well before it became popular. There's actually so, quite a few that were out there that were before it became a big deal. But mm -hmm. you know. So would you consider, so Camp um, Half-Blood in the Percy Jackson series by Rick Riordan, um, but they're technically demigods, not magic users. So, would that so it's two issues. One, they're demigods, which I think is fine. And the other, it's summer camp. It's not school. So it, I think that probably if you enjoy the genre, you'll like, I mean, I love but uh you i think you can make an argument either way you know it's it's really it's going to be enjoyable to people who who like matches the books there it has a lot of the same themes mm -hmm. yeah except for you said it's summer camp and i get that vibe if you've read the books but they they live there year round when they get to that point because of the the protection that's there so is it summer camp? Not all of them do. I'm not sure that first they do live there year round. I think it's just like it's the next summer, I think. And then maybe after a while he just stops that. But it was supposed to be Camp Half Blood. It was supposed to be summer camp. You know, I guess I guess, you know, he maybe he just drifted away from that. I, I think it just over the course of the original series, it just got so dangerous. Yeah. I, I just read the first series last year, so it's a little sort of fresh in my mind. 
so as fresh as things that a blonde mind get. Xavier uh, School for Gifted Children. Xavier School for Gifted Children is in Salem, New York, Salem Center, New York, which was <coughs> uh, an imagine. There's a little town there now, but when I was a kid, it was it was an imaginary town. It was just crossroad at the center of the town I lived in. Right. The only thing at Salem Center was a graveyard, an antique shop, with a ballet studio in the bottom. And my mom and I took ballet there, so we I used to pretend that you know the Xavier's you were an X-Men. back there somewhere. And my dad would complain about us reading comics, and I would say, "Dad, it's local news." <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like your daughter's an X-Men. Come on. <laughs> so I think that in like it's been handled lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. And like some of the cartoons where it was handled, where they really emphasized the school and the kids were like high school age. I would right. think that kind of fit in the same genre. But in other times, it just says it's a school, but really it's just a superhero comic. So that would be right. less, you know, just it's just a, a launching spot sometimes. I, I like to think that that school, Xavier School, because um, I'm a huge X-Men fan, um, it's a legitimate school. It's meant to, just like Hogwarts or the Jedi, it's meant to control your powers and be able to focus them for the greater good. But then you have Magneto's school, which <laughs> off the bat, it's the oh, yeah. brotherhood of mutants, yeah. evil mutants. Um, you know, so you got that school of thought going on too. So there like, are a lot of these met for our for our website, the standard is if I mean we even have like a mad scientist school re- book reviewed there somewhere. You know, it, we we take anything that has the same general mood. Of a magic spell that you know you don't have to prove it's a spell rather than a superhero. Well, exactly, I think the common theme for all these literary and imaginary schools um, dealing with magic or mutants or whatever um, is that it's to control your natural ability because it seems everybody has this natural ability. Hogwarts, I mean, they're all have this uh, affinity for magic. They have this you know natural ability to control it and yeah. and things like that. So I think that's the underlying theme for a lot of these things is that they have the natural ability to do it and now they just need to learn control. And I think that's important Mm -hmm. because if you don't have control of your abilities and we do this, it takes even a deeper role in just normal human beings like you and I is that if you can't control with your, your abilities, whether it's mental abilities, physical abilities or whatever, and it can go out of whack, and it can cause you problems. And I think that adds to the great stories that have come from these schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's like there's two directions you go as a student in these schools. Right. You have a lot of ability you have to learn to control, or you're afraid you don't have enough ability, and you wonder if you can you can live up to the right. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and those all make for interesting stories. And, and the another of the roles of the school is as a protector. You see that in, in many of those where outside of the school is dangerous, inside of the school is the only place that these fledglings can be safe. I, I'm and, smiling only because and, the very last review I got on my most recent book, someone was saying, I would never send my kid to that school. <laughs> and I was here like, oh, a negative review. I want to go there. Oh, it's a positive review. They were just saying that so many traumatizing things had happened over six oh. months. Well, I mean, we joined the military. That's essentially a school for misguided youth. You know, we learned skills. We you know, some could be used for bad or... For good, it depends. It's all about context. 
We used to joke that Fort Benning was called uh, John Wayne School for Wayward Youth. Yep. Um, so do you think the Jedi Academy, because technically space magic is what the power, sure. the force, whatever. It's Jedi funny Academy you ask that because I am I we, I run role-playing games for friends, and I one of my friends' character just went to Jedi Academy. So I had to make up a Jedi Academy in the last week. Oh, you devil. Nice. <laughs> you know, devil. I would have no opinion on it, but I used my dad was a Buddhist, so I borrowed stuff from the Zendo that I went to as a kid. So did the Jedi. Yeah, so did George Lucas. You're in good <laughs> Right. Good I figured it would work. Hey, you know? You're in good company. Yeah. So yeah. do you think the Jedi Academy counts as a magic school? I, I do. Yeah. 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 Okay. What about it just that? so happens to be a sci-fi setting. People over that. Yeah. But because Jedi actually feels like magic, like I mean, the setting is sci-fi, but the mood of how you get your powers and what you know, it—they're not based on how well made your gun is. They're based on something inside of you. And really, it seems to me like anything, whether it's superhero or magic, if it's coming from inside you, it's in kind of in the same genre. Yeah, it's space magic. Just call it that. Yeah, Star okay. Wars sort of sits right there at the space magic kind of yeah. intersection. I think it's why I like With samurai. It. Space yeah. magic and samurai. I mean, that was a winning yeah. combination. Yeah, it's produced have... billions of dollars worth of stuff. Yeah. So we're going to start with David because he's been a little too quiet. But do you have a favorite magic um, school um, franchise or actual school in, in the entire world of fiction? Oh, hands down, it's Terry Pratchett's Unseen University. I mean, the librarian it got transformed into an orangutan by a magic accident mm-hmm. and takes that way because it makes him a more effective librarian um, in a universe where magic books, like one magic book by itself, eh, that, that's kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. You get a whole library full of them, like they warp space and time around them. The dang things will try and eat, you know, kill and eat you. Uh, so, yeah, Unseen University is my favorite by far. Okay. Chloe? I really like the Unseen University answer. It's got such an interesting take on it because it's almost exclusively from the point of view of the instructors and the administrators and and the adults trying to keep a lid on the the, the stupid running around. And that's such a fun side of it where the the teenage side of it can be so angsty and and so uh, uh, challenging to work through emotionally unseen university is just chock-a-block fun we're summoning stupid every day of the week man <laughs> i like that keeping a lid on stupid running around that is teaching in a nutshell yeah we wear the stupid so all right what about you terry i'm gonna have to go with a stereotypical answer for my age group and that would be harry potter I Hogwarts. I read the first book before I was eleven, so of course on my eleventh birthday, I'm waiting for an owl to show up. Because why not? <laughs> why not? Or whatever the Ilvermorny equivalent is. Uh huh. I was in my twenties when that came out, so I was like, I mean, in my twenties, like an owl would be badass. I want to do this. Oh heck yes, I'd take an owl even in my adulthood. That'd be fun. Same. I love owls. Same. I still wait for my owl. I'm a little old for your eye wizard, David. Like, I don't want to. <laughs> like, I love the little meme when they point out that if you missed your owl, Gandalf can still like show up and take you on an adventure. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay, and, I'm going to hold that. I, I just want to fight a Balrog. That's all I want. <laughs> that's not much to ask. 
So, uh, is that, is it, yeah, I'm a grown man in his mid forties, and all I want to do is fight a ball rock. <laughs> I already mentioned Roke, which I love. My brother and I just loved those books when I was growing up, and and you know we put them in games and all sorts of things. I love Harry Potter. I just utterly love it, and I must love it a lot because I've devoted the last I don't know how many years of my life since 2011 to writing magic school books. Uh, I really enjoy. Christopher Nuttall's, uh, if you want to read, so Christopher Nuttall, I think is how you pronounce it. He's Scottish. I don't know how it's actually pronounced. He actually went to boarding school and it was a horrible experience. So if you want to read Magic School where the school experience is truly horrible, but it's still kind of got the coolness of Magic School, his, both his Zero Academy, which is about a girl without magic being sent to Magic School, and his School of Magic books, uh, which are a huge series now. Uh, treat the, the the realities of the of the difficulties of being stuck in boarding school. And I really love my own magic school. When I, I sat down to make it up, I went on the internet and I just looked at every picture I could get of something I thought was beautiful. And I put <coughs> it together to make an island, you know. So nice. it's called Roanoke Academy for the Sorcerer's Arts. And I Roanoke. I, I see the Virginia tie. I'm digging it. Well, you know, the reason it's Virginia called Roanoke is my son, who was very small back then, he was like, yeah, I don't know, 8, 12 or something like that, tried to run a game for us once where he said the reason that you, we don't know what happened to the people on Roanoke was they hid the island and made a magic school. <laughs> I thought that was very strange, so I decided to stick with it. But I grew up in New York, so I, I moved the island up there. So <laughs> say, oh, no, that, that makes perfect sense. The Lost Colony? I have, that way I have Faye from all over the world that come on at different times. And then it got stuck because it, it was the, uh, it was the place where the flying Dutchman was able to land because it wasn't land. And after he fell in love with a girl and she waited for him for seven years, he was freed from the curse and the island stopped moving also. Wow, so it's that's a there lot of lore. Like 10 or something like that. It's stuck in the Hudson. And the funniest thing is that when I picked this spot, because I liked it because it was right next to Storm King Mountain, which I love, I found out there actually is an island with a castle on it in the Hudson, right where Storm King is. I've actually been love there it. twice and took pictures. Not to, you can't get to the island, but I've taken pictures of it from either side. So that's kind of nice. a cool thing. Uh, you know, a clandestine operation at night to uh, infiltrate and um, reconnaissance, reconnoiter. Yeah. As you were, I think once a year they have a kayak race that goes there. It actually goes up. Yeah, to the island. It works. The island's much bigger than the real one. I I used the real one and said that it was like moored against it, you know, so it's kind of become one island. I just found out there's a company. uh, It's either Idaho or Idaho. Idaho. It's one of the Idaho I countries uh, states. I mean, anyway, it's a long night, but uh, they will build castles on your property. So I'm like thinking I might build a castle and start a cult just because it's a castle. What else are you going to do? No, you're, you're just homesteading at that point with a castle. Andrew Anderson has a castle. He, he's the guy who runs uh, Wordfire, which is the publishing Nice. I'm going to declare myself a warlord and a feudal warlord and just yeah. like, you he know. He castle with his money from the Star Wars books he published. I see. That is a man who used his money well. He did. He did. And all the House of Garber lends its sword to your... Uh, we, we, will, we, will, uh, we will make you a co-warlord. We can be feudal warlords together. Uh, all right, I Stabby. love being a co-warlord. <laughs> there you go. Stabby, uh, what is your favorite magic school? 
You can unmute. Um, so many. Uh, there's so many. Uh, I think the first one I fell in love with was, you know, X-Men. Uh, and then I was introduced to Harry Potter and I fell in love with that whole that whole storyline i've actually gotten to go to universal studios and you know get go to all the all the vendors and get my wand live that and, life and i got to live that life and it's it's amazing and then as i get older i like find more and more of these magical schools that are just so much fun like i really enjoyed um the school of good and evil when they start like plotting against each other and good becomes evil and evil becomes good and it became a whole thing and it was such a fun a fun story to read and then to see the movie adaptation as well um so there's just so many that are just so much fun that like i can't pick and choose just one if they all have their little things like i mean come on Hogwarts with the owls and the train and running through walls. It just seems like so much fun. I would love to have Hagrid as a teacher. But on the other hand, the Vampire Academy, you know, they, I'm a night owl as it is. So with the Vampire Academy, all your classes are at night. And I'm like, I could probably rock with that. So no, you couldn't, Gabby. There's, there's no possibility of an Italian vampire because hello, garlic. Um, hello, the Vampire Academy has the vampires and then the protectors of vampires, which are human, but su have super strength. Familiars. Can they have so, garlic around them with the vampires there? Because I don't know, your Italian soul might cry. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so much fun. There's, okay. Just, there's so many fun schools that like each of them has their little thing. So Please. we're going to get the list from Zhaji later, and you're going to go through the list of all the magic schools, and you'll point out the ones you haven't heard of, because you're, like, filling up the, the chat on the side that the listeners can't see with all of the ones. We have, like, 100 books on our list, you know? I mean, it, there, there's when I started writing, I was, in fact, I had a, a high-power agent back then, and I sent him my, you know, manuscript for my wizard school book, and he said, every publisher already has a magic school book series i can't sell this That's true <laughs> so, well i mean if we're gonna really the book one way or the other he just like right off said you know they already have them this was in 2011 or 12 or something like that you know and since then indy has blown it up too right right because and so, i mean we have an anthology called fantastic schools and so there's you know dozens of authors like 14 authors per anthology some of them are the same uh, I mean, if we want to, if we want to go old, if we want to go old school, you can go Mrs. Frizz, Miss Frizzle on the Magic School Bus. Yeah. Oh hell yeah! You guys know Worst Witch? It's a British show and series. It's really good. They have a really good, more recent TV show uh, for kids, but it's still fun. Uh, they they had a bunch of of things like that. Worst Witch was made into a TV show in Britain like three times. I've seen the TV show. It was on Netflix for a while. Yeah, it was, it was entertaining. It was cute. Um, You're, Chloe's so, right. She's not teaching magic. She's just doing magic. Yeah. <laughs> it's magic and she's lovely, but you can't call Mary Poppins a magic school either, man. Yeah. She was a little tyrant, though. Um, Mary Poppins was with with her magic. Just a, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, I'll I'm make the argument. Nice that was. <laughs> I make the argument for Miss Frizzle 
she had the bus and the bus kind of counted as a school environment on its own it's true but she's not she's teaching them dinosaurs there was a TV show when I was a kid Mission Magic, I think, that had the, the rock star Rick Springfield as a character where the teacher had like an Egyptian cat that would do, suddenly allow them to go off on strange. It was kind of like Miss Frizzle, but it was it was like Saturday morning cartoon. No, we're, we're working our way towards Bill and Ted being a magic school, and I have got to call foul, <laughs> y'all. No, that's, a, that's, that's a stopgap. Well, well, wait a minute. He used magic in school, though, Bill and Ted, with his time yeah. machine. I think there's a difference between a magic school and characters you think would fit in a magic school background. <laughs> well, I mean, if we want to circle back to school, they'd probably fit fine. If we want to circle back to Mary Poppins, she could have been a Hogwarts reject because she also had a magical umbrella, just like um, Hagrid. She might have been whatever head cannon you like. We're good. It's still not magic school. No, no it needs to be accredited by a reputable university or organization. Anyway, she gave me Bo Batten's vibes. There's lots of magic schools out there. Most of them either follow the British mag- the British boarding school model, mm-hmm. which you see in, in Harry Potter. Or they follow the American boarding school model, in which case they're <coughs> gothic and a little bit scary. You know, I mean, there's a lot of them out there. Think Harry Potter is gothic and scary? No, no, no. Harry Potter is the British school model. But there's a lot of magic school books, some of them are vampires or things like that, out there, like dozens, that are like an American boarding school, and they're all, they're often a little bit gothic, like the character goes there and she doesn't know what's going on. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a little, not scary like horror, but scary like it's supposed to be a little bit gothic. Right. So Nick. So when I you- sat down to write one, I made, I wanted a different model. I didn't go with either of those, but those are like the main two that are out there. If you read magical book. Nick, your favorite. Yes. Uh, Xavier's school for gifted children. I knew that was the answer, but I had to ask you anyway, because manners. Well, yeah, manners. Um, so, go ahead. I'm a huge X Men fan. Um, I discovered the X Men when I was like eight, and I just thought that was so cool. And like, I wasn't a big fan. Well, I mean, I was a fan of like your core mutants, you know. But I liked the uh, the younger ones, the ones that were closer to my age, like Jubilee, like. Um, Starfire, um, some of the younger mutants. Colossus, Colossus was a younger mutant. Um, people that are in adolescence and they have these strange powers, they're going through mutant puberty, if you will, and they're learning to control themselves and and uh, live life with all these crazy hormones that are raging through their bodies. Now, in the X-Men universe, it's because they're dealing with the X-Factor, dealing with the X-Gene. They have powers. They can. They have these just exciting and crazy powers that they can do, and they have to learn to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as like a coming of age, while I'm also coming of age, I, that related to me. I, I, I situated myself with them. I was a huge X-Men fan. Um, Wolverine was cool because he has rage issues and most 
pubescent males have rage issues because you have testosterone just flowing through your body and you're getting, you do stupid things. You, you yell, you scream and things like that. So, um, the X-Men was really important to me until I dig deeper into lore and I learned it was an allegory between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, which we're coming into his holiday. Um, and then you learn that it's much more, you know, it just expanded the universe for me and, uh, been a fan ever since. And so that's my pick. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go with Belgrave university, which is the site of the, the college where the order, which is a hidden magic school at a college is set. It has a unique take on werewolves because the werewolf skin actually chooses the user and then wraps around them. And they're two separate entities that merge into one as opposed to being I like werewolves. I like werewolves. I've, I've liked <laughs> werewolves. I first encountered uh Belgariad series by David Eddings, which I don't know if they technically were werewolves. They were just humans who could shift. But the idea of being able to become a wolf was so cool that I liked it. So when I saw that, I think it was Netflix or Max. I can't remember where I watched The Order. I um, think we pulled off Netflix. I remember. Yeah. But it was a were good they show. more shapeshifters or were they no. true lycanthropes? No, they became lycanthropes because the, the, the wolf pelt chose them. But there was also oh, a magic right. school in this yeah. hidden order. The, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to remember. It was something like, like the Blue Roses. Order. Oh, yeah. Well, well done. The order of the yeah. Blue Rose. There we go. Um, right. And that, that was, that's um, why I love her. <laughs> that was the uh, magic school in campus. And then, of course, you know, it was, it was a lot of intrigue. Uh, they didn't end up continuing the series because, like all shows that I like, they leave me hanging with no answer. So at some point, I'm right. going to begin to find out if there's like books in that world or if it was books first and read them. A comic, something. Uh, I've been burned before, though. They promised me Stargate Universe I would get answers if I went to the graphic novel, and I did, and that ended in a cliffhanger, too. Those rat so-and-so's. Yeah, there's a group for uh, unanswered questions in sci-fi and fantasy, and we meet on Thursdays. So uh, one of the authors is is one of the members of the Society of uh, Cliffhangering Bastards, and he tells me they have cookies and I should come to the meetings. But um, look at you. They should have fudge. That'll yeah. draw more members. <laughs> so the evils of chocolate. But Chloe, so what is it you like about magic schools? You and Dave have been quiet and we want you to talk too because we like you. Yay. Um, I really like the coming of age aspects of it, the going in with absolute naivety and figuring out who you are and what you're capable of and your place in the world. Those are all themes that are just really easy to build compelling natural characters around that people that I identify with really, really easily. And then this fantasy that the world is bigger and, and more magic than you, than, you know, and it's just, you turn the corner and all of that reveals itself to you is, is such a, a satisfying trope and a fun one to go chase after. And then you have all of the young love stuff running around. And I'm not naturally a fan of big romance arcs, but Academy stories, magic school stories do those so well because you're taking people out of their natural environment and putting them into a chaotic and unpredictable place. And the the, the romance arcs that just naturally bloom out of that sort of a, a, a plot line are really fun, but 
they they take a back seat to that bigger world cro- conflict that's going on in the learning the 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 new system that the the characters have to to evolve themselves into so it becomes a subordinate piece and and that's that's the the balance that i like that those stories tend to to sponsor what about you dave oh, i'm trying to think because i'm not like i like the idea of magic schools but i didn't really cabbage on to the sort of the magic school uh genre if you will like I was a little late to the party for those sort of things to really kind of appeal to me. Um, so the, again, my, like the magic school that I really enjoyed reading about like unseen university, because mm-hmm. it is more of a college environment mm-hmm. rather than the, So rather than it being a coming of age where mm-hmm. you're trying to sort out who you are and then sort out who you are in relationship to these abilities and how these abilities affect your identity going forward. Now in, when you move into that, like unseen university environment like you've got wizard powers but you know you're not the big fish in the pond you know you're you're at this this place where like these old bastards that have been wizards for uh, you know hundreds of years they're running the show and you got to kind of do things their way or you don't get to do things or you're going to do things on the sly and it's probably going to blow up in your face because magic is untrustworthy and has to be you have to learn how to control it or otherwise it you'll summon something from the dungeon dimension and you'll get eaten so i kind of like that darwinian environment of the more advanced magic school that you get in disc world i like the larry korea approach to magic schools the stories would have been a lot shorter if you just given harry a cult 45 or you know what i mean like that, that approach to magic <laughs> oh no monster no problem next um but i i, I think there's distinction you can have magic school as a trope is a almost a ya subgenre um which yeah that that came about like i was i remember going to drill while i was as an undergrad right before 9 11 and when i got federalized and that those books were coming out and i remember seeing one guy leaning in the motor pool reading those books and this is back when the army uh the bdus so back in the land of the dinosaurs where you had cargo pockets that would actually hold stuff and so the the um, the hardback fit in a cargo pocket, not exactly what they wanted you to put in there, of course. But I just remember this guy hiding in the motor pool, and I I was a corporal at the time, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? He goes, dude, it's got magic, and I'm like, oh, okay, carry on. Uh, I mean, it was just BS, you know, work duty anyway. So as long as he didn't get caught, I didn't care. Um, that was the rule. Of course, Nick and I are old enough to remember when the army had a thing in the uh, soldier skill manual that uh, a good soldier will sleep when and where they can because you never know when you'll be able to rest again. And that was the the genesis of many sham parties uh, until the army realized it and took it out of future editions. Um, uh, and I'm not saying I also hid in the cabinet once and slept, but I'm just saying like that, that all kind of came about when I was probably not the target audience. But I do like the idea of a magic school that can fit in other genres as sort of like a side thing. Like, oh, by the way, you know, you've got a fantasy world where you've got wizards. Well, where do these wizards learn their magic? Well, of course, there's a school somewhere in this universe as opposed to it being the setting. It more secondary. I like the way that works. It's like the White Tower uh, Wheel of Time series. I mean, some stuff get, you know, there's a good chunk of story told there. But then the stories move away from it. It's not the central focus. And while the magic certainly is driving the story to a certain degree, it's not the reason for the story. Much like Witcher, too. 
in oh. Christopher Nuttall's uh, School of Magic, every other book is at the magic school and every other book is like during the summer or vacation and it deals with the nameless land and the, the Lords and the, the main characters came from earth and she started, she shared information. So there's a technical revolution going on kind of like the 1800s. So he deals with the Kings and the levelers in the world. And then every other book he deals with, you know, people cheating on at sports and using the magic sports at school and things like that. They did that in the um, back to the future with Biff. Yeah. It leads to bad things. Cheating at sports. Um, in legacies. And, and this is, this is kind of like one of my favorite when it comes to vampires and werewolves and stuff. I like when they're a little bit more gritty. Um, don't make them sparkle. That's not scary. This is the skin of a killer. Come on. Anyways. With legacies, um, I actually got into legacies because my stepdaughters were telling me about, um, and of course I just dropped all of the thought process in my brain. Um, Vampire Diaries? Vampire Diaries, which yeah. takes you into the originals, which brings you into legacies, which is the kids of all of them. And um, and I was like, I can't watch Legacies and know about these kids and why I should care about them until I figure out what happened with their parents. So I wound up watching all three series, trying to catch myself up so I can have these conversations with my stepdaughters. And as I was watching through them, I was like, he just ripped that dude's head off. I like this vampire. <laughs> So, and then the werewolves came into it, and I was like, where did the werewolves come from? And then I got into the originals, and the werewolves were coming into it. I was like, okay. Okay, that makes more sense. And then all of a sudden, you have gods, you have fairies, you have all these other things. And I was like, I dig this school. I dig this school, because they're just like, you have to sign a little note saying, yeah, I won't kill that other guy over there. But... um like it's not so I sparkle and a whole lot of wow and this is meant for teenagers where <laughs> because dude I've never seen arms flying so much in my life and I'm Madam Savvy Stab you are so lucky that you have stepdaughters to watch Vampire Diaries with and not sons who if you wanted to be on their level you'd have to watch jojo's bizarre adventure i have a 14 year old son too i mentioned that one because I, I watch a lot of anime but that's one that's where i drew the line <laughs> i made my son sit down with me and watch all of the vampire diaries so he also could talk to his stepsisters good 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 like, so watch this I actually was on starting season two of the legacies and I didn't realize it was tied to this vampire diaries universe. And I was just looking up. I'm like, does this person die? So I did a quick Google, whatever. I'm like in this vampire diaries universe. I'm like, wait, there's more. I'm not stopping though. I'm going to watch the legacies first just to see. Cause I, I like gritty as well. Like that was my problem with some of the eighties and nineties sci-fi. It was so campy. And I'm like, no, you, you just left all that valuable equipment. You don't know when resupply is coming. Why are you abandoning that? So it's 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 a refrain for me, but yeah, Legacies is pretty good. I like the grittiness. 
Um, they do have a little bit of a Mary Sue character with Hope, but you know, maybe we'll visit the Vampire Diaries as one of our franchises to talk about. Quick question: Did you get to the end of Legacies yet? I'm starting season two, and yes, Chloe, I seriously Google spoilers. I will read the back of the mystery so, novel before I read the book. So this is the only little spoiler I'm going to tell you: is Hope starts out as a Mary Sue. She doesn't end as one. That's yeah, I'm gonna tell you. It, she it, turns it, into a psycho. I, <laughs> you're describing my next ex-wife. I got it. <laughs> All right. So, Terry, what is it about the magic schools that you like? I think Chloe actually hit on a lot of the things that I enjoy about them. It's that discovering this world that you know the main character usually has no idea what's going on and has to figure it out as you're figuring out. Okay. Which, from a writing standpoint, is amazing because you can build a world that way. Yes. But, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm going to be doing that myself at some point. But the books like, uh, you know, Harry Potter, uh, Wizard's Hall by Jane Yolen, which came before Harry Potter did. That's probably one of the first wizard school books I ever read or I think listened to, actually. And it has those same things. And it was great. It's this kid who has no idea what the hell's going on, is terrible at what he's doing, because I never felt like I was really good at anything. So it's like, I get that. I can sympathize with this. So coming back to what you said earlier, Jaji, where you mentioned there were basically two tropes within the magic school. You have the British boarding school model that uses all kinds of weird words like prefect and head boy. And which which I thought stuff. were made up, but no, that's what the, they really have in British school. I, I, I thought it was made up too. And I'm like, really? You couldn't do better? Um, and then apparently, no, they just copied real life. So whoever came up with the term, we're looking at you now. Really? You couldn't do better? Um, and then you said you've got the gothic sort of American boarding school. Are there... Are there other kinds that speak to you? Because like, there are. I okay, grew up so a military. When I set out to write a wizard's magic school, I didn't want to do either of those, so I based mine on St. John's College in Annapolis, which is where I went to college, which is a very different setup. You know, you have the. It's really funny because my editor will occasionally flag things he says are just not believable, and it's always something that I actually got from my real college. Uh, for instance, like he refused to believe you could have an intramural sports system where alumni were allowed to go back and play. But that's the way my college did it. If you went back as an alumni, you could jump on any team and play the sport when you got back there. Uh, but there was a bunch of other things. But anyway, I just I decided I wanted something a little different. So I set it up the way this college was set up because the college had slightly different program. The classes are sitting around a table instead of at your own tables. And I thought every little thing I can get make from, take from this college that's different will make the story be a little different so the experience is a little different. Uh, and I'm not the only school like that. Like, as I say, we have all the, you know, the different, every short story has different magic school in our little anthologies. And some of them fall into these two categories, but some of them don't. You know, some of them, they, they come up with something unusual where they, they have different take or uh, there's a book by uh, Cedar Sanderson, Vulcan's Children. I read this book and I liked it. And I can't think of the title. Something like Vulcan's Children, uh, which is homeschool magic school. Interesting. Mm -hmm. so, you know, there's a lot of options out there. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, the, the majority fall into the kind of the American or the British look on it. But 
I they had the magic school in City of Bones, which or no, it's not City of Bones. It's um, Bones and Blood. It's a it's okay. Netflix made a a TV series. It's based on the books. Um, uh, I'll Google it when I finish talking. But they have one where it's very military themed magic school. Yeah, I mean, you would think that a, that a military academy would be a, a neat place to put a magic school. I don't. There probably are some. I mean, I've read a lot of magic schools, and there's like still, I've probably read like only a tenth of what's out there. So I know there's a lot that I haven't seen, but I would think that you could do a lot with that. Um, it is on our list to schedule Shadow and Bones. There we go. Oh yeah, that sounds really yeah. good. That, that's, that's a fun Netflix show. It is, but the books are out there too. And they had the magic school they had was very militaristic. Yeah. If I was going to do a magic school, I would do like West Point meets, I don't know, Harry Potter with guns. Because why not? So you can see oh. West Point from the spot where my my magic school is set. It's you can see it down the river. The part of the Hudson River where West Point is called world's end and it's like 200 feet deep. that's where the ships used to go down because oh, there's yeah. so many storms there it's kind of i like the name that world's end yeah bad yeah. habit of finding shows and movies before i find books mm -hmm. so i'm watching them backwards and exactly. i'm like wait a minute what's in the book that i'm not getting mm -hmm. because as i said i'm a night owl he'll be snoring next to me just freaking thawing logs. And I'm on Netflix what do you mean like, that I'm a motorcycle. this not show smart. looks interesting. Let me try this out. And I just start watching it. I'm like, ooh. And then at the end, it's like, hey, we have a book. And I'm like, what? There are, a there are a number of good anime magic schools, too. I really liked uh, Little Witch Academia. It came out about the same time as My Hero Academia, but it was totally unrelated. They just translate Academy wrong, I guess, uh, which was really cute. Uh, there's a show I really like called Ancient Magus Bride that in the second season has a magic school. But I love the first season. The, the magic school, they, I, I don't know. They, it, both my husband and I have been finding that section a little boring. It's like they haven't really thought it through right or they have too many characters and not enough telling you what's going on. So. I've been a little disappointed with the second season, but yeah, that happens a lot in anime. They have so many subtle subgenres of things that are similar. Like I'm into mechs, so that's Robotech, that's yeah. Appleseed, that's Gundam. Yeah. You know. Gunbuster. Exactly. So there's it sounds like what you're describing, Jaji, is there's a difference between having a magic school in the world and being a magic school story and they yeah. have a magic school in their world but they are not telling you a magic school story the main character is going to magic school but I, I just the sections where she's not at the magic school are really as good as the original and and somehow i haven't really enjoyed the ones at the magic school i'm not sure why i spent hours talking about it but i haven't fully figured out exactly why but i think really it's that they put on a whole bunch of characters and they just haven't had enough time to develop them, so you, it's hard to engage. But it's it's hard to it's hard since that's about a girl who's sold as a slave and bought by a magical creature uh, to be his wife, and then they become friends. And she lives in a world of magic where they call the fairies neighbors, and it's, it's rural England, and it's the most beautiful anime. She's studying magic the whole time, but she was studying it as like an apprentice in the first series with one person or two people, you know, 
And so then they sent her to magic school. So I think you could have an argument about whether that is a magic school show or not. I just don't think of magic schools I've seen that, that that's the one I like the best. So that, that gives me a, an interesting question. So uh, David Eddings in his Bulgariad universe has a story of the, the, um, the original wizard and how he trained with the god that he didn't know was a god in the beginning uh, when he first met them. And they build this tower. They're living in this tower. They're training in this tower. Eventually, a few more apprentices come along, and they're training in apprentice style, but there's a collection of them now. At what point does that become a magic school instead of just a collection of apprenticeships? That's an interesting question. I think it depends on the focus of the plot. Yeah, yeah, and and how the they plot around the school and the activities of the students, like Harry Potter, or is it subtext background? When I was twelve, I wrote my first. I started my first novel. Obviously, I didn't get very far, but it was a magic school because I, my two favorite books at the time were The Wizard Versi with Rogue, and Anne McCaffrey with the dragon weirs. So I wanted to make up something like her weirs, but I made it a magic school. Cool. It wasn't anything like any of the modern magic schools. <laughs> it was, you know, it was more like, like those two stories, but. <clears throat> okay. That sounds well, cool. There's universes that, I think there's some universes that needed a magic school. Mm -hmm. like, to explain really how you get there. Yeah, yeah. This like perfect example is Charmed. I loved yeah. the original Charmed back in the '90s. Their mom died, their grams died, everybody died, and then all of a sudden they read the front page of a book. They have magic powers, and they have the elders telling them what they can and cannot do. And I, I'm over here like, you no, need somebody tell you what you have questions of continuity how how does magic get passed from one generation to the next if the the people who have the magic are always dying before their children have any skills at all that's yeah. that's yeah the, now charm did add a after potter took off charmed did add a magic school in a magic like sub pocket universe yeah uh, like the light bringers and all that it got it convoluted they jumped the shark, you might say. Yeah, I, um, uh, I also stand that that show is shit. And I think mean? that Harry Dresden could turn out to have a magical somewhere. You know, I think they mainly study with with like masters apprentices. But if you found out that in like Europe or China, they they did it a different way, you could slip it right in, and it would fit mm -hmm. perfectly well. No, I think that having a structure of instruction is important to a magic school being a magic school, as opposed to apprenticeship where you're picking up what you need to know on the job doing the work yeah. that magic That's is applied all OJT. to. Yeah, no, a magic school needs a, a, a structure of curriculum and instruction in an isolated and protective uh, environment before you go out into that just to fit into that set of tropes and that family of stories not one is better than the other but I think that for me to call something a magic school story it's not guild work it's not on the job it's not mentoring it's it's really a teacher whose job is to impart new knowledge you're absolutely so, right and that's the difference between the sorcerer's apprentice and the Harry Potter books yeah mm -hmm. 
So would a school training people to hunt magical creatures like monster hunting, because that's a trope that's very popular right now. Now we're going to bring in Supernatural. Would that become a magic school because they're training people to hunt magical creatures? Even though they depend, uh, if you were just a military school training perfectly ordinary people without any power at all to hunt magical creatures, it, you could argue either way. If there's any magic or skill beyond <coughs> involved in hunting magical creatures, then definitely. So, well, they dealt with that in um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You Riley's, have a military-esque unit. I don't remember yeah. what it's named. Riley's but their Riley's unit yeah, yeah, was perfect. meant to hunt supernatural creatures. Yeah. You have the Winchesters that are born and raised to hunt supernatural creatures. <clears throat> you so you have the closing school. If you had a group of them, if you know, if there were more than two or three, you had twenty. You know, if you had enough for a school, then it's definitely a school. Otherwise, you have to well, get into the homeschooling versus versus apprentice argument. Right, and you look at supernatural. The hunters—they're all born and raised to be hunters. But it's a print, an apprentice style of training. Oh, absolutely! I I don't disagree yeah. with that. It's OJT. I just don't see it as a magic school specifically. Uh, no, not at all. Structure. Doesn't have what I, when I but I, I didn't get to answer earlier what you like about magic school. What I like about magic school is the sense of wonder. The sense. Right. I mean, magic can be kind of a cult power, or it can be kind of an analogy for the miraculous and the wonderful and, and the things of the world that are beyond our normal experience. And that's the way I like to look at it. So if, if you're looking for that sense of wonder and that sense of what uh, you, I think is Nick, I think, I'm sorry, I didn't get everybody's name, was talking no, earlier <laughs> about the power you're trying to learn to control. If you're looking for that, then the answer would be, you know, no, if the person doesn't have those things, it's not a matter. Well, that raises, that raises an interesting question too, like the intent of the student. Do they want to learn more about the magical world that they're in, or do they want to learn to cap it, suppress it, defeat it, if they think that opposite end of users is going to affect them in a negative way? That's that's just talking Harry versus Draco. Yeah, I'm too Draco. I like this cane. <laughs> there yeah, must be other like this out there, but my book is the only one I know where the main character is not from the non-magic world. She's not an outsider that's learning about it while the readers, she's actually like her grandparents, her great-grandparents, her great-great-grandparents all went to the same magic school. Uh, so maybe not great-great-parents. I think this school wasn't started yet. <coughs> but uh, they live longer, so that would have been long ago. But anyway, it, it's, really, it's kind of a challenge, but I feel like everyone had done you know, you're coming from the outside, and which is a great way to do it. It's a really easy way to write it, and I love that kind of story, too. But I just wanted to try the other side. So my character is not poor. She has parents, and she knows about the magical world. And it, it's really a, it gives you more of a challenge as a writer because I have to figure out how to put on things the reader doesn't know. Right. But I've really enjoyed yeah. doing it just because, you know, it's it's a different take on it. It lets you take at it from a different direction. Well, I just no, have like a what I love about those types of stories, the conflict. What's it? I, that's what I like about those types of stories, the conflict between yeah, ideology you, you and other problems. And she's also discovering things that she doesn't know. Uh, but, she, you know, the, there's plenty of problems. There's plenty of, of, you know, tension and, you know, 
action and things See? like that. It's just different. And that was one. Sorry. What's it? I was just saying, um, I I think that's where J.K. Rowling got it wrong, is that she concentrated so much on Harry and Harry's life at Hogwarts that she had so many other avenues she could have touched on. She could have done a book, a spinoff, you know, on how Draco was being raised. I think that's kind of what she's trying to do with the Newt Scarmander movies, the, the earlier movies, is that yeah. taking a look at someone who lives in the magical world and, and what they're doing. And they're not, they're not at school though, you know, but yeah, the nature versus nurture part that. of the world there. Exactly. The whole nature versus nurture thing, because Harry's coming into it as the most famous wizard that has no clue that he's a wizard. <sighs> but she could also, you know, come from the other side of the spectrum and showed, you know, Draco growing up in that family of Death Eaters, she could have shown us some of that background. She could have done a spinoff of that. You know what I mean? It's kind and of it, it doesn't do like short stories, you know, from other people yeah. or something, you know. That, or who doesn't us, love spinoffs? Show us, you yeah. know, from the other schools' pers perspectives, the American school, Bobatis. Or, or uh, Durmstrang. I would yeah. love to see more about the other magic schools. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what they how like they that. go about learning how their you know school time really is. Um I think that would have been a whole lot of fun of seeing how they all went to schools. Cause you see it a little bit in, in um Magical Beasts and Where to Find Them. Yeah. Um, he goes, I went Here to Hogwarts. We you know, he's like, I, I went to Hogwarts. And she's like, Yeah, I went to the North American I can't yeah, remember I the name. Can't, it starts with I. I can't think of how to pronounce it. Yeah. And you kind of see that little rivalry there. And you're like, ooh, I wonder, you know. I, I have a friend who, who feels that she really lost opportunity with her last book that instead of just living in the woods so that she could get to the end of the year, they could have like gone to Europe, you know, and tried to go find out from Grindelwald what was going up with the wand or something like that. Visited some of these other places and schools or something. You know, she, she could have used it a chance to bring on more of the world. And ever since he says that, I've been a little disappointed with that book. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, that's a really good idea. And I absolutely loved when Newt, all of a sudden, he's in Hogwarts. <clears throat> you have a young Dumbledore. You have a young uh, McGonagall. And you're like, oh, my God, we're finally getting into it. And then nothing. Yeah, well, they haven't finished. So maybe there's more, you know, maybe they'll do more. I'd love to see more of that school. Uh, oh, I really like seeing what they put in the Hogwarts Legacy game. I mean, which also took place, you know, like a hundred years ago. Uh, just seeing as, the look as a of fan it. Of, as a fan of the Smoochie books, I love the Smoochies. The I, see, I think there's something between McGonagall and Dumbledore. I would like oh. to see that too. That no. they're no. cherry. No, not shipping them. <laughs> and now David fell asleep when we started talking romance novels. David's cup is not water. That's vodka. I'm just saying, McConnell was a hottie. was a hottie. We've talked about the common coming of age type tropes, but what other tropes? And we're going to start with you, David. We got to wake you up from that snorefest of a romance plot. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> what uh, other tropes are are work well in a magic school sort of setting? 
besides the coming of age? Uh, the, oh, geez, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. Uh, I like to see the, uh, the earning, earning their powers, right? Like mm-hmm. they start out not being able to do much or, or they're overpowered and they're just fumbling around. So that's, it's the constant, that's the try fail cycles where they earn their ability to fit into the world. Mm-hmm. And so they, they kind of earn their uh, hero spurs, as it were, so that as they like, uh, like, uh, like uh, Star Wars, for example. I mean, like Luke Skywalker doesn't get to go to a Jedi Academy because, well, it's been destroyed, you know, right. by his old man, as it turns out. But he still has to go through that process of earning his powers, earning his abilities. Um, Harry Potter, he's you know, throughout the entire series, that kid every. Every book, that dude's having to earn another layer of power just so he can survive long enough to get oh, to the- that dude has to fight every inch. Yeah. Every inch. You know. Luke didn't have to go to Ilum to get his crystals for his lightsaber. Loser. <laughs> and then, uh, um, like, Wheel of Time, uh, Magic School with uh, mm-hmm. the White Tower, like, you see the uh, the point of view characters, Egwene and Nynaeve, have earned you know like they have a lot of raw ability and no real good way to control it and oh by the way they're very important to what's getting ready to happen and if they don't figure out how to control that power they're in real trouble and so is well you know their friends that they really care about like they're in deep crap if they don't learn how to control their powers so that earning your ability thing i really like that about the uh, you know the magic school Okay. What about you, Chloe? You got a found family that just tends to, to, to show up immediately trying to build the, the social structure that's going to work its way into the, the, the larger conflicts as we're discovering what those are. Um, and the, the natural antagonism that comes from going into a school by yourself mm. Um and, and working through the, the, the social conflicts of everybody here is on their own and trying to figure out where they go. Um, it's a really strong, strong set of tropes. And I, I feel like you have to be really careful with them as a writer because it's so easy to make everybody evil. Sometimes in those series, I relate a lot to the evil person. Like they start to speak more to me the older I get. So it looks like we lost Chloe though. My she internet froze. keeps resetting. Sorry, we'll see if I can make it. So, so yeah, I, I said I, I can start relating the older I get to some of those quote evil characters. Like when we watched that '70s show in the beginning, Red Foreman was supposed to be like the the buzzkill, but the older I get, the more he makes sense. My Red Foreman phase of parenting. So yeah, you start out identifying with Ferris, and at the end, you identify with the the principal. Yes. <laughs> you know, teenage me watching Charmed versus me now watching Charmed. If I woke up tomorrow and I could freeze pe- freeze people, a whole lot of people would be standing there going, ow, why does my face hurt? <laughs> because I am at that point in my life where I'm like, I don't like confrontation, but if I can freeze you and just smack you and then take a couple steps back and unfreeze you, I'd be like, 
I want I'd that be okay. I'd be okay. A lot of people would be like, oh, what happened? Why does my face hurt? And I'm like, and I it's not school to tell me that I can't do that. <laughs> All right. So uh, same question for you, Terry. Other than the standard coming of age stuff, what tropes do you like in a magic school? It's kind of a trope you'll find in a lot of in a lot of different genres, but it's that always finding another deeper level to everything that's going on. I, I think the magic school genre lends itself really well to that because magic is usually complicated. It's connected to everything else. And so you can get those layers and keep digging through them as a series goes on and get to a point where, you know, book three or four, like, oh, this connects to what was happening in book one. Wait a minute. So pretty soon you get the alumni chapter version as the series goes on long enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Same question, Jaji. Uh, what is, it, other than the standard coming of age tropes, what do you like to see well, in a magic we'll world? So first of all, uh, discovery of the magical world. I mean, I get into this because I love reading it and writing it because I love it. I love fairies. I love elves. I'm not saying I love every version of them, but what are they doing? What are the unicorns up to? What, you know, it, so exploring the magical world to find out what's going on in the magical world uh, is something I really love. But also just exploring the human world, like 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 uh, Diagon Alley. You know, like, how do the humans run themselves with magic? What what are their society like? Uh, one review of my books mentioned that I touched on nearly everything except for taxes. So I actually managed to get taxes into the most recent book. And it was really fun to think about how do you pay your taxes? It's only in there for a paragraph. But I had to think about, well, how do they pay their taxes if they have a magical world and a moral world? I mean, are you paying your taxes to, you know, London and D.C.? Or do you get out of that because they don't know you're there? You know, things like that. And I'm saying my books per se, but that kind of thing, like how's the world set up, is something that I love seeing in these books. Fighting evil. You have power. Not everybody's using it correctly. So what are you doing when somebody who's got as much talent as somebody like Harry Potter doesn't become the good guy, you know? And now you've got to figure out how to take them down, hopefully, without hurting the non-magical people who could, you know, be used as, uh, you know, hostages or, you know, there's a million different ways to do it. Not all magic schools have non-magical people. Some just live on, are, are on worlds where everybody knows about what's going on. But uh, things like that, all of those I think are, are, and then you get just action sections, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the basculus is on campus and what do you, you just have an action scene of people fighting bad I had a hundred wraiths on uh, free on my campus in the, the most recent book, and they had a battle, and you know, so things like that. You know, it's just straight out battle of magic versus. I also had a sports game in order to decide who got control of, of a certain thing, where they had to hurling is a, game, a real game, but I thought it was made up and from fairy tales because when I was a kid, the only time I'd ever heard of it was that the the king of the Dion she plays it, so they, you know, the you can have we have a whole anthology of magical sports stories coming out in, in probably next summer. Um, was so, that inspired by Harry Potter and the Quidditch? Uh, no, it was inspired by from for me the the hurling was inspired by Brian Froud's picture book where it mentioned that King Finvar of the Dion she played chess and hurling, 
And when I found out it was a real game they play in Ireland that they say is the fastest game on grass, I said, okay, I have to put that in my book. That's just cool because it's a game fairies are supposed to play. The Irish invented this game to play before you go to battle so that after you'd been hit in the face with a stick enough times, you wouldn't be that scared when you went on the battlefield. It's a crazy game. It's like mm-hmm. they, the medic is the most active person in the game. You can look it up. They have it online. It's just a crazy game. It's like lacrosse, baseball, and soccer all together. So there, it's a fun fact. I took a class uh, in college on the history of sports, and you'll find, with very few exceptions, physical sports that you play in real life, not video games, um, almost all of them started at one point or another as a training ground for young warriors. See, that's what this was. I, I didn't know that about other sports. Except for so golf. I'm not surprised having discovered this about, uh, I, I, about hurling. Anyway, so I'm just saying you can take a lot of just things you'd put in another story and just put them at school, you know. So, so you don't have to all be – I think the coming of age, is, if it's school, is often like maybe an over framework. But there's lots of other things you can have there and romance. Um, you know, maybe the guys don't like as much, but I love romance. You can have the, you know, the, the, the troubles of young romance is a common thing at school. So any type of theme that you could do in another story, you can probably also do it in a magic school. I want to make one comment about the bad guy characters. So I didn't, the story I'm writing was made up by a friend. It was originally a Harry Potter role-playing game. And my husband and I fell in love with it. And there were so many clever ideas in it that I said, I'm just going to change the whole background. I'm going to re, you know, remake it back. But I'm going to take your idea and your plot. And I'm going, to, I'm going to write a book based on it. And one of the things he did was that though, he filled Slytherin with all the villains from shows and comics he liked. But he made them, somebody had changed them slightly when they turned them back into children. So 18-year-old Dr. Doom was in charge of Slytherin. Only somehow he made him a good guy. So I have all these characters that I borrowed from him that I had to change their names and who they were. But they're all these guys who act like bad guys, but they're actually good guys. Now, I'm not, you know, a lot of books, you have these bad guy guys and they say they're good guys and they're really bad guys. This is the opposite. I was just so impressed with how well he did it. I'm like, okay, I'm putting that in a book. So this is the part of the, um, the episode. The admirable qualities of bad guys without some of the bad guy qualities that usually get left off of good guys. Nick, this is your time where we have to quote Wreck-It Ralph. Come on, you know you want to. Just because you bad guy doesn't mean you're bad guy. <laughs> Which okay. is how I, I approach a lot of characters. You know, um, I think with the modern age and our um, readership, whether they're young adult readers or whatever, I mean, we're completely, we all have access to the internet. We, we see things on news, TV, whatever. I mean, even what we thought was a younger viewer thing is not exactly a younger viewer thing. I mean, these, they have to keep up with technology and they're very intelligent, um, which I will deny to this day that I'll give them credit for that because I, I think, well, you know what I'm saying. But our audience has advanced. They have become more intelligent. We have to find more ways to entertain them. We have to actually have more ways to fool them, redirect them so they don't read past the plot. They can't guess it, you know. So we, as writers and storytellers, which... As, as the hearth bearer, because 
we go back to ancient times, the people that controlled the fire also controlled the stories. And it's been like that since human history. As the storytellers, we have to find ways to intrigue and keep our audience on the edge of their toes without guessing where we're putting the story. And I think that's very challenging. And I think that we're actually smarter than that because we still find ways to do that. We still find ways to find our, our inner child, our inner adolescence, and find that way to keep stories intriguing and keep people guessing and being surprised when we have the big reveal, which is the most important part. We all love that part when we're writing is the big reveal. And hopefully they didn't guess the, the ending. They're just, they're shocked with eyes bright and their jaws down. And we're like, we got you. It's like a magician. You know, when they do a trick, you know, I got you. It's the very end. If you ever saw the original Phantom of the Opera, opera from the <clears throat> early 1900s, at the very end, he holds something in his hand and the audience reacts to that and he releases his hand. There was nothing in it, but... The face was, I got you, you know, is the big reveal. I got you, you know, and that's what we all want as storytellers. We want that big reveal. We want to tell you that mm -hmm. we brought you in. We got you interested. We got you guessing. And then the big reveal is, I got you, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And when it happens, it's, it's very beautiful. It's magical. And every writer that's ever done that, and I'm pretty sure that's everybody here in this panel, when we've had that, that is a glorious feeling. No matter what the genre or the tropes, you know, we got you. Okay. So, so uh, as the, I made the joke about all the sports being um, training ground for young warriors, uh, I made the joke except golf. Uh, Nick points out in the comments, dear listener, you're not here to see it, but golf was a study of indirect fire, and maybe I'm still not buying it. But, I mean, it works in uh, Animal House where they took out the uh, pompous ROTC guy by golfing his head. Dude, play uh, golf with me. You're going to guarantee that it's a study in indirect fire because I suck. I've but I bracket you. I bracket the hole. I never made it past putt-putt, but I guarantee you that is a fun game, so it's okay. Um, they just cheat. You go in the clown, it goes all sedate, and, doo -doo 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 -doo, and then you hit the ball, and suddenly it goes all wonkers like you've just fed it, like I don't know, sugar, and it just starts moving really fast to block you. Totally not fair, but anyway, that's my therapy hour. We'll move on. Um, so before we wrap this up, obviously, there's a lot more to talk about than we did, uh, as you've seen us going all over far in a field, over the hills and far away, uh, as they say in the land of the uh, headmaster and all that weird British stuff. Um, so we're definitely going to come back to this topic. But before we do, we're going to let our guests, and somebody is eating ice, we're going to let our guests tell us what they're writing now and uh, and how people can find them. All right, Jaji, what are you working on now? I'm working on uh, two things. One is book seven of my series, which is called Young Angel Society and starts my character at the beginning of her sophomore year. Uh, and the other is, uh, I hesitate because the guy's going to mock me, but a, a Regency romance set in the same world. So magic Regency romance. Okay. 
So my only thing about romance is when I was a young man, I thought I'll read romance so I can understand girls so I can have better chance at dating. And I will tell you, it does not work that way. You will end up more confused than you started. And now I just can't, I can't cotton the genre. I just can't do it. Nope. Abort. Back out. Well, I, nope. I can only tell you that the same way that my girl magic club, you know, school has action and fighting scenes and other stuff. My romance, probably, it, it, it's not going to be a traditional romance, but it's more of a traditional romance than my well, you know, my, my other stories. So. What I did learn is that all one of the keys to being a good romance author, if you're writing Regency styles, is you have to have a good thesaurus for synonyms because they have some weird synonyms for body parts. And I'm just saying hats off to their <laughs> creativity. I, I'm not sure I'm going to get into that. Mine is actually a lot more drama and magic oriented. I don't know. I mean, I may just stop when they get married. But uh. <laughs> And the looks we are getting from Chloe at the bottom of the screen. She's at the... Uh, the Brady Bunch Square at the bottom. She's just like, oh, well, I goodness. actually like romance, so I do know the words that they use. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Terry, uh, you are next. What are you writing now? And then, oh, hold on, Jaji, you didn't oh, tell us. Well, you can find me on Amazon, El Jaji Lamplighter. <laughs> I have a sub stack. I have this website called uh, Fantastic Schools and Where to Find Them, which for some reason is really hard to search and we've never been able to figure out why. But, um, we don't keep it up anymore, but all the, I'll send you the link. All the information is there. The old articles, lots of stuff about, about, you know, real magic schools that people thought existed, made up schools, reviews of books on magic schools. Uh, occasionally we post a new review. Um, so those are probably the best, the best places to find them. All right. And now, sorry, Terry, we jumped the gun a little bit. That was a test of the emergency broadcast system and you passed <laughs> your mute button and your hold fire for that last seven seconds. Chef's kiss. Perfect. But what are you working on both writing and narrating and how can they find you? So right now I'm splitting my writing time between uh, the third, the draft of my third book in the series, as well as a uh, sci-fi short story. Uh, as for narrating, I'm working out some technical bugs, uh, but I will soon be starting uh, one of J.F. Posthumus's new books, uh, Taming the Night. Um, I've got two other contracts for a kind of angelic story and a young adult short story that I don't know how to describe. And most commonly, I am on the Book of Face Facebook. All right, all right, all right. Chloe, before you get your judgmental eyes on me again, what are you writing and how can listeners find you? I am returning to the world of the Queen's Chair. I'm writing book five right now. It'll be coming out sometime next month if I can get to the end of this book anytime in the future. It's running away from me. Um, and I am expanding that world as we go. I'm I'm planning on working towards actually a a new set of four books in my magic school series sometime in 2025 though, that I wanted to mention because we're, we're, we're there today. Um, but again, the books run away. So I'm just trying to keep up. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on my website. It's chloegonner.com, which reroutes to blender fiction because that's who I am. And I've actually got a post up there now, which is an invitation to my Facebook group because I've been goofing off and acting like a human being an awful lot more there these days. And that's the best place to actually find me being human. Hey, if you ever want to write a short story in your magical background, you know, you know, who to send it to <laughs> We, I mean, we, we're doing ongoing anthologies, so, you know, and some of them are themed and some of them are just general. So okay. do you get a lot of schools and or a lot of stories and you're like, how the heck is this a magic school that you have to reject? 
No, because most of the people who know that we're doing it are, are like people I know or people who know people I know. Okay. Uh, I've almost never had to reject stories. Usually I get enough good ones that I just do an extra anthology. I have rejected some, which is, which is, is, you know, it's always difficult, but a lot, it's kind of self-selected. You know I mean? A lot of the people sending me stuff uh, already have already write magic tool books. We, you know, like four or five of our authors already write, write magic tool books. Like that. I, I published, uh, I think, 10 on uh, Bayonet Books, which is my imprint. And now I'm hosting some for Three Ravens. And you'd be surprised the number of non-mill sci-fi books that get submitted to mill sci-fi genre anthologies. We got a romance. I'm like, I get that the romance happened on a boat, but that doesn't make it a space fleet, space marine story. <laughs> I, I um, have had to reject one or two saying there, there's not actually a school here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and what, what person, Rebecca, oh, I guess you're right. Sorry about that. You know, so once or twice, you know, it, it's, it's happened, but, uh, as I say, we because the people who hear about it and and get a, they they have to send me a, a a query ahead of time. So often I'm in a position to say it's not really the right kind of story before they send it. To. Okay, I, it's a weird world when you're publishing because authors can be interesting people to get to know. Sometimes they're normal and they're just like the rest of us, and sometimes you you know where their crazy inspiration comes from and it's yeah, a yeah. I just, uh, we've just been really lucky with the story yeah so i got one lady who i rejected her story because it was it had the dms problem where it was like more outline than an actual story but the premise was good so i sent back edits and they're like you just don't like girls and i'm gonna sue you i'm like Okay, what? good luck. I'm what? poor. Have fun. Oh my gosh. That's uh, too bad. I've yeah, been really I laughed. I, I sent that conversation quote to uh to Hillbilly because it was for an anthology I'm doing through him. And he goes, I'm even poorer than you are, JR. So good luck to her. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's too bad. I, I yeah, I, I do think I've been we've been really lucky with, you know. What, what yeah. we've got, but it's been uh, we'll have to we'll have to link to are you all of your anthologies linked in the same series if we went from like Amazon or Barnes and Noble? I, I think so. So they're they're I think they're only on Amazon right now and they're they're through PubShare. So they were linked and we moved to PubShare. I think they finally linked them, but if not, if you just put in Fantastic Schools, there there's seven of them out at the moment. Okay. We will try to link to those as well. Um I'll but, send you uh, Okay, perfect, perfect. Because uh, you know, if you if this sounds intriguing to you, dear listener, go through and buy the books and read them and leave reviews. That matters. It's um, a great way. Yeah. We love reviews. It's a great way to find authors in this background because, as I say, at least and at least half a dozen have other magic school stuff out there, uh, and so people you know come and they read them. They're like, hey, I like you know, and they go read the series of of uh, you know Tom Anderson or. or uh, you know, some of the other I things. write reviews for Upstream with Declan, who I'm sure you know, because uh, yes. that's how I first heard of you. I have and, three uh, Declan stories right now in a, a Molnar 9 anthologies. Nice. So he his, uh, because I write for him, I've actually started thinking about some of these anthologies. I'll just find the three or four I like the most and write independent reviews of those and then get more reviews out of the individual book instead, because otherwise re anthologies are really hard to review. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that sounds good. Like if you read it and then you go look up the author that you like their short story. When right. I was young, that's how I found a lot of authors. I would read the short story anthologies and then I'd go read the rest of the series, you know. Um, and then reviewing that, that makes sense. I, I think you're right that it can be hard to review anthologies because 
either you leave something out or there's so much to talk about. It's, it's a little hard to do it justice, but you know, if you, if you take it and then you do something by the same author that you story you like somewhere else, that that's great for us. Absolutely. All right, David, what are you writing? And then how can listeners find you? I'm presently working on a book called ghost ship derelict. And you can find me at davidwhensley.com. And you can find me on Facebook at David Hensley Writes. Nice. The Ghost Ship sounds like an interesting book. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> it's taken me a little longer than I thought it would to get through the initial uh, run. But I'm excited for the project. Like, All right. So we can officially say this here because contracts have already gone out. But when uh, I used to write with Chris Weiner, former co-host, he had life happen. He had to get a day job. And as we had our literary divorce, as we jokingly call it, we split the series that we were most passionate about because we had a couple we were working on together. He kept some of the we kids. We won. For the kids. Uh, and I, so, we won. Well, he won too. He had a pretty good the cyborg. The, it was set at the VA uh, hospital. I mean, it was good. I'm just saying, collectively, through 300 plus episodes, we won. JR, just me and <laughs> so anyway so as part of that i had a series out called breach team which was uh the uh, um a lesson in how not to pace a novel because it was all straight up action and then cliff at the end and so when i unpublished it because i was going to get back to to writing it later uh i started working with hillbilly over at three ravens and he goes you know i got this guy he used to be navy david you'll like him he's cool he lives near you ish he thinks all of Virginia is near me, though. Like, I don't think he understands the state yeah. and how it's all lined <laughs> out. Um, geography, Air Force. I mean, he just flies over us. So, oh, right. But, uh, fly over state? Is that what you call that? Yeah, but that's technically the middle of the country. We're not really yeah, no, I agree. Nobody it's wants to go to Oklahoma. I think it is. It must have been even much larger back when West Virginia was part of it. It would have been immensely huge. Well, I like West Charter. Virginia was on the coast. Thank you, Queen of England. But they forget about that now, and California wants to claim its own sovereignty. Oh, my Texas God. Don't, don't bring the left coast into this. We'll get nowhere. Anyway, so uh, we had unpublished it because I knew it needed work, and that's when they put David on it. And so he's taking what was one book and turning it into two, and then we're going to make a series out of it. And so what, what was going to be the French and Indian War in space to set up the American Revolution in space just because it's a cool – analog became something more like mass effect and i'm here for it david's got a dark and warped sense of humor that's all i'm gonna say uh that's why we're, we're friends. friends absolutely <laughs> um that's also probably how he survived in the navy absolutely uh, i think it's a requirement for every sailor i've ever met has a sense of humor that would yeah it's it's out there <laughs> and they don't even have to get combat like trauma to get there i think they just teach it to them at a school yeah, a school and then your first deployment, you know, that long line waiting in the shower, it's, you, you'll do anything to get to the hot water. <laughs> so many it's jokes. Like I, I'm right butt now. naked and cold with a bar of soap in my hand. Please expedite <laughs> this process. <laughs> all right, all right. So, Stabby, before, before Nick has another stroke, we have a question. You had something important you wanted to share with everybody. Yes. So, we all know that Stabby loves doing uh, research. And I was researching as we were talking, like I kept like bouncing between um, sites because I love doing research. I found something really fun, freaking freaking neat. <laughs> um, there are seven colleges that offer a Harry Potter course 
Wow. Yeah. I knew there were colleges where you can play Quidditch and they run around with a broom between their legs. Which, okay. Oh, my God. Tell me now. Are you guys ready for this? Are you guys ready for this? Because I have the list. Are you guys yes. ready? Yes. Bring it. Bring what it. Little geekdom I can't stand anymore. Okay. Hold on. So the University of Western Ontario gives you the course of the many faces of Harry Potter. Um. <laughs> Georgetown University gives oh. me the course of Knights of Old and Harry Potter. <laughs> Nipissing, I, I might be saying that wrong. Nipissing gives you the classic course of Harry Potter. <laughs> You're giggling a little too hard at this. I'm, I think this is hilarious. Frostburg University twists all these Harry Potter counts categories into their Harry Potter education class. Wilford Lauer Lauer? I'm really dyslexic and I really shouldn't be the person reading this. Um, offers a unique course in Harry Potter and medieval culture. Okay. We're bringing bullying The University back. of Waterloo offers their um their course called Popular Potter. And last but not least, the University of Texas offers fandom rhetoric by the universe or by the course called, where did it go? I just lost it. Oh my God. Um, it's called the Rhetoric of Potter. Oh my God. I blame Austin so hard. <laughs> No, uh, I must say the one that was medieval history that might be using Potter to to lure kids into learning history, which I think would, would be you know yeah you need kids learning I'm right. cool with that yeah. and and we can't really judge the Potterites because yes on the one hand when they talk like lady dude please read more books there's more than just Potter out there however uh, they have recently and failed a few times tried to make Jedi an official religion in England. Yeah. Um, I know people that put it on their dog tags because why not? But it's, it I have a set of dog tags that Some years ago, I knew a little girl named Jedi. Nice. She was, you know, fandom daughter. All right, what were you saying, David? I say that Jedi is an officially recognized religion by the United States military. It, it is, but also the religion of the dude. So, like, I, I mean, the, the bar is really low. Yeah. Nick actually has a set of dog tags from when he was in that says his religion is Sith. Sith Lord. Like <laughs> nice. I, I told him it was a subsect of Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> but My husband's a Catholic. God is dead. That's with Catholics. We think God's dead, and we're all just kind of here doing shit. <laughs> All right, so this is the part of the interview, dear listener, dear viewer, because we will keep going. I promise you we will have more episodes on magical things and fantasy. We're definitely going to invite all of these guests back again. They are our favorite peoples, but this is the part where I remind you, dear listener, dear viewer, please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books, and legend has it, if you give them 2,000 reviews, maybe the owl will finally show up for them. I'm not promising just saying it could happen. Two thousand reviews. An Two thousand reviews. I just want the the unicorn because I would like to know what a unicorn steak tastes like. I'm just saying. Oh. I will tell you guys. Chicken. 
Chicken Skittles. They taste like about, Skittles. That's right. Taste rainbow, man. I'll tell you about my owl encounter off air. So let me tell you this before we go, because you mentioned Skittles and I have to. There is a scientific study that the all of the Skittles actually taste the same. So I got a fan of the show, Mormon Maggie, we call her. Uh, three guesses how she got that name. She is awesome. Um, she's, I call a heretic. She has to be burned on the pyre. No, no, no. She did the science and she homeschools. So she was telling me I could do it with my kid. If you cannot see the color of the Skittles, and you cannot smell them. They all taste the same. The only, quote, flavor is the scent. Otherwise, they are all the same candy. Witchcraft! That's interesting. Yeah. Sorcery. You should do the experiment and report back to me if you do not believe me, people. It is science. Here's, here's something crazy, and it's, like, all over TikTok right now. They are offering you a water bottle that comes with scent cartridges that smell like coffee, apple, pears. And people believe that they are drinking like mango water or watermelon water or coffee because they can smell it. I believe it. It's still sensible. Very interesting. So this is the part where we quote the um the 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 doctor in Jurassic Park. We spent so much time focusing on whether we could. We didn't think about whether we should. <laughs> on that note, uh, I will remind you where you can find us, dear listener. We already ran Nick away with the heresy to coffee, and I don't know if he'll ever come back. It, it's we might need to send a search party. Uh, check no. back with us next week and see if Nick is back. But with that being said. You can find us on our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, link tree slash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, link tree slash Blasters and Blades podcast, where we link to all the things, the bit shoots, the rumbles, the Twitters, the YouTube, the email for professional business inquiries only. We have the Blasters and Blades Facebook group and Facebook page. It does look like we were locked out of the page for management purposes. We might have to make another one and transfer over. If we do, we'll update our link tree and you can follow along at home, dear listener, dear viewer. But last but not least, we link to Madam Stabby Stab's Instagram, Twitter, and email where you can send all the hate mail. She will make you cry in response, though, so you have been warned. Uh, and you can follow us on our website at anchor.fm slash blasters blades. Again, anchor.fm slash blasters dash and dash blades where for as little as 99 cents a month you can support the show and help keep the lights on or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com slash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com slash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-hosts duly caffeinated they will drink until their eyeballs turn brown or i have a stroke or he has a stroke. Uh, yeah, lay off the coffee, more for Stabby. Speaking of coffee, what are you enjoying from the uh, coffee brand coffee today? Because if you use our link and our code, Podcast Crunch, you get 10% off. I'm actually enjoying their hot chocolate, and I don't normally like hot chocolate. The blueberry is awesome. So this morning was part uh, Roaster's Choice. I did half a scoop of Roaster's Choice and half a scoop of blueberry. You have the blueberry scent. You have the blueberry um, uh, taste palette in there but it's not overpowering if you will um and then you have the roaster's choice which if you choose the roaster's choice it's whatever they decide to send you i believe and i say once again i'm dyslexic so when i try to say this i'm probably gonna say it completely wrong arabic blend yeah that's right arabic that's right it was their arab arabic blend 
and then I mixed it with the blueberry and it was so good. You could smell it through the house. It was like when you first light Aromatic. a candle, like the first time you light a candle and you really get that, that smell mm -hmm. in the air. That's what it smelled like. This so morning. you're telling me the blueberries taste like blueberries and the schnozberries tasted like schnozberries. Like oh, the schnozberries definitely yes. taste like schnozberries. And then I put uh, French vanilla creamer in it and it tastes I like a cobbler. That. I am not going to lie. French vanilla creamer is my weakness. I will walk extra steps just to have it. Uh, the only thing worse for me is when Stabby and I go all basic white girl on the um, pumpkin, pumpkin spice latte. latte. Not going to lie. No shame. I'll wear the Uggs. I don't care. You make jokes. It is delicious. I'm so outfit, you Just to throw this out there, JR, you might still have time, but I got a sample the last time I went into Starbucks, and we all know I'm I'm a sucker for their cups. They're just so pretty. But um, I went in there. I was like, I just need to get one last peppermint mocha before they take it off of the, the um, thing. And they gave me a pecan praline latte. Oh, my God. My favorite is the one they took off the menu because the American Heart Association made them. And it was a at <laughs> stroke. Yeah, it was a maple syrup latte. It tasted like liquid um, oh my pancakes gosh, with maple so syrup. Good. It was so delicious. So was, my favorite of all the Starbucks drinks they don't they never had in America. It was a, you know how they had the the caramel macchiato. Yeah, it was a yeah. mandarin orange flavored one that they did in China for Chinese New Year. Interesting. Not making drinks in other countries that we, you know, we don't get at home. But oh my gosh, was it good? <laughs> that sounds delicious because I'm a sucker for those. And it's funny because Terry's in here with us. I'm a sucker for the Terry's or chocolate oranges. It was kind of like that. Oh, it was so good. I oh my god, I would drink that. I would. You would not be We're able American. to get me out of You go to Tony Hortons for that shit. <laughs> so all right, all right, all right. Well, while I was there, was Tony Hortons. Tables, which I now spend much more money on than, than I should. Don't get me wrong, I love Tony Hortons. I'm a sucker for Tom Hortons. Tom Hortons. He keeps reminding us all that he had a stroke, but he actually did just have a stroke. So his noggin is playing with us a little bit. It's okay. We like him either way. But uh, this is the part where I tell you, we are at the two-hour mark now, over, and I promised you 30 minutes ago we were going to end the show. So I'm going to say thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my crazy co-host, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Thank you, David, for coming on the show. Thank you, Chloe, for coming on the show. Thank you, Terry K. Job of The Many Voices. We appreciate your patronage. And thank you, Ms. Jose Lamblatore. You're welcome. Thank you so much. We're going to have all of you back uh, together, separately. I don't care. You're all fun. You all get a special place in my book of insanity. And with that, we are out.